Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with World Series winner, the crime dog, Fred McGriff. The center field and deep. It's out of here. Welcome to Atlanta, Fred now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a five-time All-Star and a World Series champion. He finished his career with 493 homers and 1,550 ribbies. The crime dog, Fred McGriff. Freddie, thanks for coming on the program. What's up? All good. How you doing? You been playing a lot of golf? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I played maybe uh, once or twice a week or so. Something like that. I'll tell you what, my back's starting to hurt. I'm having a tough time playing two, three times a week. I've been I've been swinging hard too long, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already had I've already had back surgery, so uh, I will tell you uh, do whatever you can to avoid back surgery. Uh, I, I tell people I wouldn't wish back surgery on my worst enemy. You know, I had a my younger brother uh, played in the minor leagues with Detroit and a few other organizations. He had three. And, okay, no, and uh, you know, until you have it, which you've had the ultimate, you had to have back surgery. I've never had to have surgery, yeah. but I'm just getting to that point where that lower back, you know, it's just constantly with you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it humbles you a little bit. It's like it, it's just uh, God's way of telling you you're not yeah. young anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started getting tingling. um down my leg. So I think, you know, you're fine as long as you're, you're not getting tingling and so forth uh, down your leg. Because once you get tingling down your uh, leg and stuff like that, then you know you got to get something done. But, uh, you know, just surgery is just the first few days after surgery when, <laughs> when you're in some serious pain. And, uh, and they're telling you they want you to walk right away and get up and do something. <laughs> and you're in some serious pain. <laughs> it's, no, it's no fun. All right, 1989. You hit the first homer at at the, at the time it was brand new at Skydome. Where's the ball? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I'm in storage because uh, we downsized me and the wife. We downsized about three years ago, and so I got a lot of stuff uh, in storage right now. And I will. I'm gonna take a guess and say that it's in storage. You know, that was a uh, special moment because, you know, the, the tunnel is a great city, but at the time um, they opened up a new stadium. You know, it used to be Sky Dome, and I was able to hit the first home run against uh, Don August and the Milwaukee Brewers opposite field. I, I love playing at the Sky Dome. I never got to – I didn't come along fast enough to play in that old stadium and exhibition stadium. Yeah. The, only, the only videos I see of that, it looks really cold. <laughs> no, no doubt. You know, you, basically, you, you got lucky because you didn't miss much because it was it's freezing cold and, uh, you know, it's, it's Toronto. And so the first part of the season, like in April, it's snowing. You, you, you get snowed out a day or two. And it was miserable, and they were playing um, on a football field. You know, they uh, they they changed it, you know, to make it work for baseball, but it really was a football stadium for the uh, Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> and so, if you hit a home run to uh, right field, 
I mean, the ball, you know, you may hit the end zone for, uh, <laughs> for the football field. You, you know what I mean? It was, it was crazy, but they made it work. And, uh, you know, such a great city. And now they have, uh, well, the thing about it, you know, you know, back in the day, the Sky Dome was it. Oh, a retractable roof, you know, what an awesome, you know, stadium and so forth. And now the stadium's outdated and they're trying to get a new stadium. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Time, time flies. A, how about this, Freddie? How about Atlanta? There's three stadiums. It, the original, you know, the original uh, park. Fulton County. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the new one. I thought it was brand new. You know, I played there in 99 yeah. and it was pretty darn brand new then. And then all of a sudden they're in a new stadium this yeah. year. And once again, it's like, how old am I? I've seen three stadiums. <laughs> Yeah, I was totally surprised. You know, a few years ago, all of a sudden they say, oh, the Braves are getting a new stadium in Cobb County. You're like, what? You know, I could just remember, uh, you know, the Braves playing and um, where they had the Olympics at, uh, you know, Turner, Turner Field. Turner Field's not that old. Turner Field is probably, if I say, 20 years old now. <laughs> and, and now they, yeah, I think now it's they 20. Got a new stadium uh, in Cobb County. They did, a, they did a great job with the new stadium. Uh, you know, these state-of-the-art stadiums, and they also have restaurants and uh, movie theaters, uh, stores, um, apartments, condos. So, so basically, the Braves will be printing money for the next, you know, 50, 100 years. Yeah, even when there's no game, even when there's no game going on, they're still uh, doing very well. And you brought they brought it home this year. We'll talk about that later on in the show. But uh, born and raised in Tampa, Florida, you still reside there. Um, yeah. Tell me about a young Freddie McGriff growing up in Tampa. I mean, that's a hotbed. We've had a lot of guys from Tampa on the podcast. We had Doc and Chef and uh, Larusa and Lou and and Tino Martinez. I know Dave Maggot was down there. Bogsy lives down by you. Just tell me what it was like growing up. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing when you think about it. You know, you named all, you you ran off some great names from the Sheffields and Goodens and Magadans and Wade Boggs and Tino and all those guys. And that's amazing. Um, you know, Tampa's really not a very big city, but uh, so many players have come, uh, have made it up to the big leagues from this area. I would say probably at least uh, 30, 40, 50 guys. I may, I may be even wrong, but uh it's been a whole lot of guys, and um, but basically in Tampa, um, the baseball history goes way back. And then you know, back in the day, uh, Gary Sheffield and Dwight Good they played with Bama Heights Little League that went to the Little League World Series. And when you probably remember back in the day, um, the Taiwanese <laughs> little bit. Oh, they were the best. Yeah, they were the best. Yeah, there was like <laughs> there was like twenty seven year old Taiwanese pitching from from uh, from forty feet. Yeah, and it, it, they just crushed everybody. And so Belmont Heights uh, made it all the way to the World Series, and I think they the Taiwanese beat them like twenty six to zero or something. Like that. <laughs> it was just a total blowout. But uh, so the little league programs in Tampa are uh, are top notch. I played at West Tampa Little League. I played with a lot of Latin guys, uh, a lot of Cubans uh, at West Tampa Little League. But uh, that's where it all started. And then growing up here. Um, you have good good programs and so forth. And then I went to uh, Jefferson High School, like myself, Tino Martinez, and um, 
Louis Gonzalez went to Jefferson High School, and Shetland and all those guys went to Hillsborough High School, uh, Carl Everett, and so forth. Uh, they all went there, and so the Lily program, high school programs are great. And I tell people it's funny because um, when I tried out for the baseball team in the 10th grade, and they had a star first baseman, his name was Izzy Segura, right? And so I'm like, there's no chance that I'm going to make this team uh, – as a first baseman, so I decided I decided to try as an outfielder. I never played outfield before, but I was left-handed, so you either, you either play first base, pitch, or outfield, being left-handed. So I tried out for the outfield, and um, I got cut. You know, so I got cut. I got cut from the team in my tenth grade year, and you know I could have quit and everything, but I just went back to my little league uh, program and played. Uh, there another year, and then next year I tried out for uh, the team again as 11th grader, and I made the team. So you now, you know, nowadays the high school coach, his name was Pop Quester, right? And so now he goes around town, and he's no longer coaching high school, but people give him a hard time all the time. They're like, dude, you cut Fred McGriff. <laughs> you know, what's going on with that? So he so he, he catches uh, he catches heat from people all the time. So uh, yeah, and so Tampa and, and plus with myself, I grew up uh, less than a mile away from where uh, the Cincinnati Reds had spring training and so forth. A place called Alapaz Field, and so I was always able to get uh, free tickets or so forth for spring training. And then the uh, Cincinnati Reds A ball team, the Tampa Tarpons, they. Uh, they had a, I mean, they played in um, Alapazville also. So during, uh, even when the Cincinnati Reds left to start the year, I still could uh, get some free tickets to go to uh, the minor league A-ball team games and so forth. And uh, so that's where it all started. And Tampa's a great city. You know, you can't beat the weather. You know, for the most part, uh, you got sunshine most time. You know, you're going to have your, you got your, you know, your, your years when it's going to rain. You guys were seasons where it's going to rain. But other than that, uh, it's a great spot. So it's a great place to train. So you can train uh, year-round and everything. And uh, you always can find different guys to work out with or high school programs and so forth. So it's a, it's a good little spot. So still home. And uh, I like sunshine. I love it too. I'm in Southern Cal. You can have a lot of the stuff that out here, but I'll tell you what, you can't replace waking up and putting my flip-flops on and shorts every day. It's funny you mentioned, you know, I've had a lot of guys on the program and, and you know, the, most of the guys, it's the typical, it's the Tino Martinez story, first round pick the Olympics, but there are some, some really cool stories. We had Larry Boa on the show. He didn't make mm-hmm. Freddie, you didn't make your team your sophomore year. He didn't make his team his senior year. He went to oh, really? college, wow. yeah, as okay. a, and then ended up playing shortstops in the uh, in the big leagues for sixteen years. I thought that was quite exceptional. You brought up uh, she- you brought up Sheffield. We had him on a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that little league. And my first question mm-hmm. I asked you, "Where's that ball you hit out of Sky Dome?" I asked the first question I asked Chef. I said, "What was what was better? Winning the World Series with the Marlins?" Or going to Williamsport. He said going to Williamsport was a lot more fun. Oh, without a doubt. I believe it. You know, because yeah. you, you know, Bunny, what kills me nowadays is like um, they'll, they'll have the games on ESPN, right? And so 
ESPN, they always look for the kid that's crying after his team has lost or whatever. And I feel so bad because the thing about it, I think, I, I don't know if they realize it or not, but, you know, a lot of these kids, now they got to go back home to their, to, their, to their towns, right? And all their little buddies, all their friends are going to mess with them. It's gonna be, they're like, dude, why were you crying on TV? You know, because your team got yeah. beat and, and stuff like that. But every time, they can't wait to, to just show the kid the kids crying because they, cause, cause they got beat, man. But it's, just, it's an awesome experience. You know, I, I've never been there personally my own self. But just from watching uh, the games over the year on TV, on TV and so forth, uh, it would be awesome. You know, yeah, I guess it would be even know, better like- if I could coach, if I could coach and I could train a team and take them all the way to Williamsport, and that would be that would be that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, when we were kids, that that, that Williamsport, it was that was elusive. It's like, oh, we got to get to Williamsport. But you know, I think I think the game the game at the at the highest level in the big leagues where we made our living. Uh, of course, you know that's how we earn a living. That's how that's how we support our family. But simpler times and and those little league days. I still to this day I. I some of my fondest memories are, are just simple. You know, when I was 12 years old and you could get five hits every time you went out there and, and nobody was booing you and nobody was uh, giving you a hard time in the stands and uh, simpler times. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the way things turned out, but uh, those little league days, there's a, there's a lot to be said for it. And that's why I always emphasize with, with parents and coaches. It's like, you know, these kids are little, they only get to be kids one time, let them be kids. And, and that's the, the most important message I like to give them. You mentioned uh, oh, yeah. Al Lopez Field. It's it seems like a lot of the guys in Tampa have a lot in common with you as far as hanging out at Al, Al Lopez Field. You're also a vendor at Tampa Stadium. <laughs> I saw somewhere. Tell me, tell me about that. How'd you get How'd you get hooked into that? Hey, you did. You've done your homework. <laughs> I did my homework, baby. Yeah, not many people know that, but yeah, I uh, I sold coke when I was 14 years old. See, well, where I grew up at, I grew up right off. Uh, they call it the Dale Maple Strip in Tampa, but uh, that, that, that's that's for another for a different segment. Yes, <laughs> yes, Maple it Strip. is. That's for, that's for a different <laughs> segment, but uh, that's where I grew up at. And so, the uh, football stadium, uh, Tampa Stadium, and the, the uh, Alapis Field were all close together. You know, um, on the same uh, property for the most part. And so. Uh, as a 14 year old, you know, you're trying to make some money and everything. <laughs> and so I sold Cokes at Tampa stadium. And, uh, I mean, you could make, you know, each tray, you would purchase a tray, you know, it would cost you $10 to, uh, to get a tray of Cokes. And then you would get, uh, two bucks off of each tray. <laughs> and so, and then I tell people, honestly, um, I believe it really helped me because it's, you know, hitting a lot of times people think it's, um, about your uh your upper body but hitting um is about your lower half your hips and legs and so forth and so for me walking up and down these stairs at uh tampa stadium um strengthen my legs because you got you got a tray of cokes and you have the the rope you have the (laughs) neck the the towel you know around the rope and, and you're going up and down these stairs and you're competing with your uh buddies who to see who could uh sell the most tray of Cokes and uh, they're 50 cent. <laughs> and so you, you, you walk out of there with 30 or 40 bucks uh, 
at the end of the night. You know what I mean? Did you, did you, did you have to, did you just walk with the Cokes or did you have a, a like a line that you threw out, Cokes, Cokes? Yeah, we know, I was, I was Coke, Cokes, you know, and people, I know, I know people would probably laugh to this day if they knew you like, uh, yeah, Fred McGriff was walking up these stairs selling me Cokes uh, back in the day because you, you start running into the regulars because, uh, you know, you had the season ticket holders who, uh, we're at every game and everything. And then you start knowing like, okay, I know this road. If I go up in this road right here, I'm going to sell this tray of Cokes real quick, you know? <laughs> and, but I have to admit, you know, once you became a veteran, right? You know, and, and you're a young kid, you're 14, 15 years old, and you're trying to make money, right? So you, if you saw an empty cup, you know, on the ground and everything that wasn't too smashed up, Right. You just you just collect them. Right. And then you go back and say, yeah, you know, um, I spilled this Coke right here. I spilled it, this cup spilled. So, you know, I need a refill. And so they go fill it up and then you get to, you know, you just get to go sell that, <laughs> resell that Coke and you make the 50 cent. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was uh, that, 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 that's when you become a veteran. You know, that's right. But now, you, 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 but now you go. Yeah, now you're trying to buy a coke. Now, now you sit. You sit at a game, right? And cokes are like seven bucks, eight bucks. <laughs> you're like, man, I remember when I to buy a coke it was fifty cent. Crazy. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan. Hey, thanks, Boone. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. Hey, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So why wait? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code Boone, B-O-O-N-E. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code Boone this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to my interview with Fred McGriff. Freddie, you took Doc, you took Doc deep in high school. And you uh, you were you signed you signed a letter of intent, I think, uh, to go to to uh, be a Georgia Bulldog. Uh, then the nineteen eighty one draft came around. You were ninth round pick with the Yankees. And what what made you decide to go professional instead of uh, pursuing your college? Well, Booney, going back to um, Dwight in high school, like Hillsborough High School pitching staff. Had uh, Dwight Gooden, but they also everybody remembers like Dwight Gooden, but they had uh, a guy by and you probably you probably faced him. Uh, I, I played with him. I know who you're going to say. Go Vance, ahead, Vance Lovelace. Yep, right? lefty, big lefty. So, yeah, so they had him and Vance Lovelace, and Vance it was 96, 97 miles per hour. And I tell people that you know everybody talk about Randy Johnson, but if Vance Lovelace would have made it up to the big leagues, you know, because he just great guy, but he could throw strikes. 
once he got on the mound, he uh, he just struggled throwing strikes. But if he had pitched in the big leagues, he would have flat out dominated because um, he was six five intimidating and so forth. But they had him and Dwight pitching, <laughs> and so our high school, my high school team, and our, t- our two losses would be to Hillsboro every year. You know, Vance Lovelace would throw a no hitter and lose. You know, because he he was wild, and so he he would walk two or three guys, four guys, and he'll walk in a run, but he would throw a no hitter. You know, he was he was that good, and so yeah, I faced those guys uh, coming up, and so then. Um, I get drafted, and because uh, I'm more, I was more of a late bloomer. Like I said, I got cut my tenth grade year, and so uh, I started playing my eleventh grade year. So I wasn't quite on the radar. Um, I forgot how many home runs I hit. Maybe my junior year, if I say four or five, I'm not sure. And then my senior year, and so uh, yeah, and I also had an offer to. Uh, for the most part, I was going to go to probably Hillsborough Community College for a couple of years, and then. Uh, try to get drafted also, but, uh, you know, my dream had always been to play, uh, professional baseball, seeing the Reds, uh, in spring training and so forth. And so, uh, when the opportunity came, uh, you know, being drafted by the Yankees and so forth, uh, was a great situation for me. So I decided to, uh, to sign with them rather than go to, uh, the community college. So you sign in the ninth round, and something really strange, something that doesn't usually happen with with guys that end up having careers as great as you did. But you get traded to the Blue Jays after your first short season. You get traded with one of – and I saw this. One of my favorite teammates of all time is uh, Mo Man, Mike Morgan. You were in that trade. <laughs> And you got traded. You got traded to Blue Jays, and I couldn't imagine. You're 17 years old. You signed with the Yankees. I'm sure your family. They went out and got all the Yankee gear. Next thing you know, like, Mom, nope, I'm a Blue Jay now. Yeah. Well, actually, what happened is um, the Yankees' first round pick was the first baseman. His name was Billy Williams uh, from California. Uh, and so my first year, I got, I got, a, I got about uh, 80 at bats or whatever because he played most of the time he was a first round pick and so i hit like a buck 48 uh you know and so uh you know it's funny now you laugh now but uh so i ended up repeating and so my second year is when i killed uh i killed the blue jays um probably uh down in Bradenton, florida but it's also my 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 hitting coaches were joe pepitone and uh mickey vernon (laughs) they were my hitting coaches uh in rookie ball. And so I killed the Blue Jays, and that's when I got traded to them for uh, Tommy Dodd and Mike Morgan, who was awesome. Uh, Morgan's a good people. And uh, so we all got traded for uh, Dave Collins and uh, somebody else. I can't think offhand, but yeah. So I got traded to uh, the Blue Jays. And Brett, as you know, you know, when you get traded to a team, you know that it's a great opportunity for you. Because if they wouldn't have traded for you if they didn't want you, so you know you don't get an opportunity to uh, to play. And so, but but then you know I, I go to the Blue Jays and uh, they also traded for Cecil Fielder. <laughs> you know, so 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 me and Cecil Fielder get traded the same year over to uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. That was uh, yeah, and and you play in the Gulf Coast League. Uh, 
You eventually play in the Carolina League. You played in Knoxville, which I, I was in that league, that Southern League, uh, when I was coming mm-hmm. up with with the Seattle Mariners. And you eventually Syracuse was your Triple A team. Um, you make your debut in 1986. You only get five ABs, so really you didn't you didn't have that big of a shot. But 87s when yeah. you when you start getting some consistent playing time, and you hit 20 home runs for the first time. 88, you kind of start becoming the Freddie McGriff. We know, you know, you hit 34 home runs, you drive in 82. And then 89, you lead the league in home runs. You win the Silver Slugger. Uh, just take me through that that coming up and, and uh, you know, how that was for you. I mean, we all, st- we all have our path, you know, going through the minor. Sometimes guys get through the minor leagues mm-hmm. quick, and then it takes them a few years to, to kind of to find their, find their legs in the big leagues. How was that for you, uh, coming up in Toronto? Uh, well, it was interesting because, like I said, me and Seth Alfredo, we get traded at the same time. And so uh, I was always once one level ahead of uh, Cecil. So if I was in um, double A, he was in A ball. And then when I went to triple A, Cecil went to uh, – he was in double A. But uh, we were always good buds because we would play cards together and um, go to dinner and so forth. Uh together such a good individual <laughs> but then think about it um blue jays had a great team they had uh willie upshaw at first base they had uh lloyd mosby george bell jesse barfield they were just stacked uh up in the big leagues but uh cliff, cliff johnson was the uh the dh for the blue jays uh back in 84 85 but as you know coming up uh you don't know if you're a prospect or a suspect, and you don't know how what they really think about you, because uh, you know nowadays they got a lot more social media. But back in the day for us, we didn't have all that. But um, Cecil goes; they call up Cecil in front of me, so Cecil goes from Double A to the big leagues. <laughs> so, and so you're really not now. You're really not sure what's going on, because um, Cecil jumped up to the big leagues. I want to say '85. So, but in '86. Cliff Johnson went on on the disabled list. And so I got called up um, for like 10 days um, while Cliff Johnson was on the uh, disabled list. And so you're calling your parents and you're calling everybody and telling them like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the big leagues. I'm in the big leagues, you know, da, da, da. And then, you know, 10 days later, you got to call them back up and like, man, I done got sent down to the minors. <laughs> I'm, back, I'm back going to the minors. And so I laugh because you look at some of those movies like, Major League and Bull Dorm and so forth, Bull, Bull Dorm and everything. You know how, like, you know, guys go back down to the minors, and you got all the guys who hadn't been up to the big leagues. They're asking you all kind of questions like, "How was it, man? You know, how was the uh, the airplane? How was the food? And you know, this and that." And you're busy telling them, but but it takes you a few days to, you know, really recover because you know, get get when you got to get get sent down and you're going back to the minors. It's like, oh boy, you know. So it take you, you know, two or three days to say, okay, I'm back in the minors. You, can, you know, you got the fans like, you know, hey, how was it, Fred? You know, da 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 da. da. And you really don't want to hear all that, you know, at the time because you're going back down to the minors. But in, in 1987, um, they called me. Got, got called. We started the year up in the big leagues. Uh, me and. Um, Cecil, and the thing about it, the Blue Jays took care of us because uh, they still had Willie Upshaw, who was a great player. Uh, they had him uh, playing first base, and so um, 
I would DH against um, right-handed pitchers, and Sussel would DH against uh, lefty pitchers. But the thing about it is more right-handers, uh, right-handed pitchers in the league than it is left-handed pitchers. So I was going to get more at-bats. But say if we started the game, and I was hitting seventh and eighth, but if we started the game with a right-handed pitcher starting, and if he got knocked out the game like in the third or fourth inning, they, and, and the team brought in a lefty, they would leave me in the game. They wouldn't take me out of the game. They would leave me in the game and let me get some at-bats against uh, some lefty pitchers. And so you start learning and getting comfortable uh, facing lefties and so forth. And then, and that's for another story, Booney, because it kills me when I see they automatically start platooning guys, you know, and it's like, come on, man, leave this kid out here. And if you, if you let guys play long enough, they'll make adjustments to uh, hitting lefties, raise, whatever. Nowadays, they just automatically want to say, okay, you can't hit lefties. You can't hit righties. So you're a platoon player, you know? Right. Yeah, it's so a different, it's a different world now. I mean, you know, yeah. always when we were playing uh, the elite left-handed hitters, you know, the guys that played every day, they'd hang in there. They might give you a day off. If they were going to give you a day off, they'd kind of plan it around like a Randy Johnson or something like that. Yeah. But the, yeah. but the average lefty that you're going to face on a weekly basis, you know, the, the big boys and, and the, and the everyday left-handed guys, well, they're going to face the left. Tanners, they got to. Uh, they're one of our big bats in the lineup usually, and we need them. But you're right. Today, right. it's a different game. And, and unless you're elite elite, they do a lot of platooning. And, and it's almost, you know, mentally becomes a distraction, I would think, especially for a young player, a young big league player. We, you know how we all are coming up. Uh, we're all vulnerable and, and we have this persona that, yeah, we're good and we're ready to go, but we all have our doubts yeah. until we really prove it at the big league level. Uh, right. You know, we always, everybody, no matter how it looks outwardly, we all have our insecurities. And, I, and I'd like to see, especially young players, until they prove to you they can't handle that and they are actual platoon players, give them a chance right. to play every, play every day and maybe be a star player. Right, because you know, it's, it's ways you can protect, you can protect players like like myself with the Blue Jays. They hit me seventh and eighth, and so I wasn't gonna kill them by hitting seventh and eighth. You know, because they still had, like I said, we had had George Bell and Jesse Barfield, Lloyd Mosby. Those guys were the uh, the main stars at the time on the team, and so man, you know, for me to you know hit seventh and eighth, face lefty, righty, whatever. I'm not going to hurt my team, but I, I, but in the meantime, I'm learning how to make adjustments to see the lefty slider, the lefty curveball, what they're trying to do to you, how to make adjustments, because that's what kills me about today's games. Today, in today's game, the players are not using common sense and the brain that the man upstairs gave them to make adjustments. You know, I'll see somebody nowadays hitting um, – 200 and they keep doing the same stance <laughs> and everything yep. every single at bat and for instance like you would take like Cal Ripken and stuff Cal Ripken had a million stances you know you may see him one game his stance was open next it may be closed his hands was high hands was low he spread out you know and you have to try stuff 
and make adjustments. If they're getting you out a certain way, like nowadays guys strike out 200 times like it ain't nothing. <laughs> they're like, they're like, like, okay, I just struck out. I just, I'll just turn back around and go to the dugout and not do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> and I call it insanity. You know, that's what they call it, insanity. And so it's different. And so, uh, that's what was happening to me in, you know, 89. I finally got a chance to, to get out there and really start playing and making adjustments. But what happened, Booney, is the Blue Jays had drafted uh, John Oru, you know, and I knew that John Oru's father had played with Pat Gillick, you know, years right. and years, and Pat Gillick was a GM uh for the Blue Jays at the time, so you know you almost you know you you don't have to be a scientist to know like, okay, Oluwe plays first, I play first, you know, something we'll have to give eventually, and they tried to play Oluwe in the outfield, um, but you know that wasn't going to work too well. Uh, you know, Big John was awesome hitter and player, and uh, but he wasn't the quickest out there, so him as a no. No. Yeah, so him and Althea wasn't going to work. And so uh, so I ended up getting traded uh, the following year out to uh, San Diego in a, uh, it was a crazy trade, uh, Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter for myself and the late Tony Fernandez. You know, Tony ended up passing away um, this past year. He was a great shortstop, but it was a big old trade. He was, um, you know, and I talked this, I, I, I talked about Tony a few, a few shows ago. I, I had, I got to play with Tony in Cincinnati just for one year. He came over from the Blue Jays angry as could be with his blue, <laughs> blue Jay glove. And, and Larkin was our shortstop. And they told Tony, you're going to play third. And he would not accept it. No, I'm a gold glove shortstop. Fast, fast forward through spring training. He ended up accepting playing third, played one of the best third bases for that year. It was 1994 that I'd ever seen defensively at third base mm-hmm. it, to this day, you know, and, and he, he did pass uh, recently. One of, one of my favorite teammates all time. You're, you're mentioning a lot of my favorite teammates, Johnny Olrood. I get to play with in Seattle. What, yeah. what a, what a kind yeah. human being, one of the best yeah, people exactly. I've ever been around. And, and uh, yeah, but Tony, he was a special guy. You get traded for Alomar and, and like you said, Joe Carter, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about playing in Canada. And did you enjoy that? What were the, what were the, because us, we come, we, we come play against you guys and it's usually, you know, one series a year and we're in, we got to deal with customs and all that stuff. Uh, so we know what it's like being an opponent, but what's it like being the home team there? What are the challenges there? And uh, what are the pros and the cons of, of playing in Toronto? Well, one thing about Toronto is that, uh, is great in a sense where like you're representing almost the uh, a whole country because you know sure you got the uh the montreal expo so mainly you know you're 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 canada's team it's not like here in the states where you have uh another 28 different cities uh and teams uh in canada it was it so everybody loved the blue jays and so forth and it was great because uh they gave me opportunity to play in the big leagues, and then also uh, we tell people they they gave us cars to drive around in. They gave us Honda Accords to drive around in, and they, we we had to put the Blue Jay emblem on the side of the uh, on the side of the car, right? And so, you know, you you you're twenty two, twenty three years old, and you got a 
Honda Accord with a Blue Jay sticker on it. And so, uh, so it was a beautiful thing, you know, back then. Uh, and they treated you, they treated you great. And Toronto is a great city, real clean, and so forth. And we, and better than that, you know, we had a great team. And so when you're winning a lot of ball games, uh, it's a great place. And other than, like you say, uh, you know, customs can be tough. And um, with a lot of rules, like we couldn't land after uh, 12 o'clock in Toronto. So we would have to uh, uh, fly into, uh, was it Windsor and so forth. And um, and that's about a hour bus drive uh, to uh, back to Toronto. And so little stuff like that was uh, a little uncomfortable for you because, you, you know, you land at two and then you got to get on a bus and drive another hour and you you finally get home three or four in the morning. And, you know, so customs would be tough. They, we, we always knew going in, like, don't say nothing bad to the, to the custom folks. Or if not, you'll be stuck another hour or two, you know, here, here, here at customs. And you know, and you know this as well as I do. Uh, Montreal was the worst when they were in the league. It's like, if you'd go into Montreal and beat them three out of four, beat them two out of three, book it. They're making you go through full customs. They're going to check bags. I, times I went in there, Freddie, and we got our butt kicked. Montreal beat us. They'd be like, all right, right to the tarmac. See you guys later. Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, That's why I laugh nowadays. They're talking about um, trying to give a franchise. The, they're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays playing half of their games in oh, Montreal. Split, that, that's, rid- you know? that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, are y'all serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so Toronto come, is a great place, man. So you go to you come to San Diego. Uh, you, you're there 91. You end up getting traded midway through the 93 season. Uh, but you have, man, nothing but success. 31, 106, 35, 104, 92. You win the Silver Slugger. You're an all-star again. And you're the home run champ for the second time in your career. Uh and then, and then it changes. You get traded to Atlanta, which you have some some huge years there. End up winning a World Series. Touch on, uh, give me a snapshot of that of that Padre three years before you move on to Atlanta, where in '95 you guys win it all. Yeah, the Padres. Uh, that was a tough one because we had a great team also, and for me having the opportunity to uh, play with Tony Gwynn. The late Tony Gwynn, man, he was the best hitter that I've uh, ever played with. And just to see him day in and day out, because one thing, Boone, me as a hitter, I was a big guy who always would I was trying, I wanted to have a routine that I could use every single day, the same mannerisms every single day up to the plate. But me, I was constantly uh, <laughs> making adjustments and so forth, because hitting home runs is very tough, because regardless of what people say, um, you need to hit the ball out in front of the plate to hit home runs. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't, ain't all this let the ball get deep, let the ball travel. <laughs> all these, all these, all these words and terminology you hear that you hear every day these days. But you got to, you got to hit the ball out in front of the plate. And so, what you're trying to hit the ball out in front of the plate, you're gonna be wrong at times. You're gonna, you're gonna guess wrong. And so, uh, I was always making adjustments. But to watch Tony go in day in and day out. Same mannerism, same routine. I mean, Tony Gwynn was so good that he could see he, – he, he loved to put on hit and runs. And so 
he would he they will have a signal he'll have a signal with the guy on first base the base runner or whatever that he wanted to, that he wanted to put on a hit and run and so he was so good that if he sees the shortstop cover the bag he'll hit it through the shortstop hole and if he saw the second baseman cover going to cover he'll pull it and, and hit it in the second base hole he just his back control was unbelievable just so to play with him day in and day out and Nato Santiago and um, once again, you know, uh, Gary Sheffield and Tony Fernandez. We had a great team, and it killed me because you know the, the Braves and the other teams they wanted no part of us. And the owner for the Padres, Tom Warner, at the time, he said, you know, baseball ain't gonna work in San Diego, you know, uh, and so forth. And so they decided to trade everybody, you know, the the, the lower the pay, drop the payroll. And so they traded myself, Gary Sheffield, uh, I think Craig Leppards, uh, maybe Andy Bennis. Uh, there was a number of guys uh, that they traded away. And I, I joined the, the Braves that year, and they were like, man, y'all had a good team. So so Tom Warner, he had to fire sale. We traded everybody, and then he got out. He uh, He sold the team. Okay. And then a year or so later, I'm reading the uh, uh, MLB network, whatever, and they say, Tom Warner has purchased part of the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is the same guy that told us, you know, baseball ain't going to work. I'm getting out. I want to know part of it. And now he's part owner of the uh, Boston Red Sox. You know, so uh, that was crazy. But my time in San Diego was awesome because I lived in Poway, and uh, I had a nice home out there in Poway, and uh, it was just awesome. Just the houses up in there with you know the, the mountain, and just San Diego is just a beautiful spot uh, to play and live. And it gets a little cool in the evening times, but we had a. It's a shame that they didn't keep us all together because we might have had a chance to uh, win a World Series if that kept us all uh, together. So I get traded to the Braves uh, in '93 during the middle of the year. And um, it was a whole lot of pressure because it's one thing, like when you get traded uh, in off season, you can go to spring training. And when you're at spring training, spring training is more of a relaxed atmosphere. So you can, you can meet your teammates um, and, and so forth. But then when you get traded in the middle of the year, I mean, it's a season going on. <laughs> so you don't have time to uh, try to meet your teammates and everything. You got to go out there and play. And the Braves were 10 games out of first place. The Giants were running away with it. And so I get traded, and um, all of a sudden, we already had a good team. All they, they had a good team with Glavin and Maddox and those guys. But um, they were 10 games back of the uh, Giants. And then we got hot, and we ended up catching the uh, the Giants. It was one of the greatest pennant races of all time because, you know, Giants had Barry Bonds and Matt Williams, Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, they were, they were stacked, but uh, had a good team also. We ended up catching them. And then it, the season comes down to the last game of the season. <laughs> we both had like uh, 102, 103 wins. It comes down to the last game of the season, and they're playing on the West Coast. And so their games are starting later than we're home in Atlanta. And um, so we won our game. And so now everybody's watching to see if the Giants <laughs> were going to win. The Giants are playing the Dodgers, you know, and that's always a big rivalry. <laughs> so far, the Dodgers had Mike Piazza on the team. 
and uh, Dusty Baker started Solomon Torres. <laughs> At the time, he was a he was a rookie pitcher. He started him against the Giants and Piazza and them. They killed him. Um, I can't remember the final score, but they ended up beating the Dodgers. They ended up beating the Giants, and we ended up winning um, that division. It goes down as one of the greatest races of all time. It was just crazy. Like, I would love to see them in baseball. This go back to a bit more of a balanced schedule because the way they got it set up now, you take a team like the Rays, like they play the Yankees 19 times, the Red Sox 19 times. <laughs> it's crazy. While teams like the Minnesota Twins and the White Sox, they play the Yankees six times the whole year and the Red Sox six times. And the whole scheduling is just not fair. If you get caught like in a, in a, in a uh, tough division, it's tough, man. You know, and so yeah. uh, this, this unbalanced schedule is just crazy. G- give me, give me the days where you go to each city two times and everybody plays the each team the same amount of time, and just, just give me that. You know, That's, well, because be it gets on. Yeah, it gets unbalanced for like this year, for example, is the National League West. And you got the Padres who were as good as anybody the first half of the season and they fell off. But those Giants and the Dodger team, we know that Dodger teams are a great team. They both ended up winning 106, 107 games in the same division. And, uh, you know, especially with this one game wild card, you know, you can win nowadays, you can win 106 games and be gone in one start. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him make a few changes to that. Oh, well, that, cause that, you know, it's, and, and, and then you look at the Padres, you know, and they went all in this year and they, they, they spent a lot of money and they made big trades, you know, but as long as you're in that same division, um, with the Dodgers, with their big payroll, you, and the Giants, you don't even know if you can win that division, man. <laughs> you have yeah. to, because those they just gonna keep they gonna keep bringing it every year, um, and it's gonna it's, it's gonna be tough for the Padres. They're fighting an uphill battle to uh, go to win that division. That's gonna be tough. Ninety four. That's a strike year. Uh, you hit three eighteen to thirty four homers. I was thinking about it before getting ready for this for this uh, podcast, and I thought. There's Freddie seven homers right there. If they don't lock us out, if they don't lock us out that year and, and cancel the World Series, Freddie's got his 500 right there. I, you can find it in 94. Remember 95? We came back late, so we didn't have that many games. So we missed some games there, too. There's your seven. There's your seven jacks right there. I found it. It's yeah. over with. Right, Let me call it in. Freddie's got 502. I was having an MVP season. I was having an MVP season, man. I was killing it that year uh, in 94. Um, and they shut the season down, and we as players didn't think that they would uh, blow off the World Series. And so we go on strike, and they end up blowing off the World Series, and uh, that was a crusher. <laughs> and poor Montreal, Montreal Expos, uh, they were leading that division. They were leading that the National East at the time, and they felt it, it was their year. Finally, they were going um, – beat the Braves and they had a great team with the Lair Walker and Marquise Grissom and Delano De Shields. Uh, they had a great team. <laughs> so they were, it was going to be a great race against those guys because uh, they had, they had our number and then we had the strike that uh, shut everything down. But, you know, Boone, I, you know, I, I always, I look back now and I know that I've been totally blessed, man. Because <laughs> going back when I was telling you, I got cut from my high school team. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. <laughs> so That's right. Yeah. It's all four years. 
Yeah, so for me to play one day in the big leagues and, and hit one home run, and uh, it, it was awesome, man. I don't even know. I, I, I laugh. Like, I don't even know how in, the, how in the world I pulled it off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You pulled it off pretty yeah. damn good. That's what yeah. I know. Well, you 95. Know, you... The one thing to this day, when they come up with a machine, a computer that can measure what's in somebody's heart, they'll never have it figured out. You know, it's over. If they ever do that, then it's over. If they come up with a computer that can figure out somebody's heart. But you don't know how hard somebody's going to work, you know, and this and that. And they just don't you and, and, and you've seen guys that in the minors and everything who had a world of talent, you know, were better players than yourself or whatever, but they didn't work. You know what I mean? Or and or their careers never turned out like people that like people expected. That's why, you know, sometimes I see these kids like um after one year in the big leagues, they'll give a guy like a long-term deal or whatever. <clears throat> and I'm like, man, you guys crazy. You don't know how many, how many guys you saw, you know, you seen like were just one season wonders who for, for one year they figured it out. And then after that, they just, you know, no Moss, like, like Kevin Moss, you know, the Yankees always yeah. had a number of guys, <laughs> Matt Noakes and guys, you know, just after a year or two, they just bombed out. It's sticking up in the big league is very tough. It ain't that easy. That's right. It's easy getting there. It's tough staying. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. 95, you're an all-star again. Uh, that's the year you guys win it. And, and yeah. Freddie, tell me if you had this, you know, because a lot of us have gone through and, and, and played at the, for the Braves at one point. I played for them in 99. Um, but I remember I, I was with the Cincinnati Reds, and I got traded. And the first thing that went through my mind was – I don't have to face Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin when I go to Atlanta anymore. <laughs> They're on my team. That's the first thing I thought of. I went to spring training with them in '99, and I remember Bobby Cox. And it was the, it was the the most different, if that's even a phrase, uh, approach to spring training I'd ever heard from a manager. And he sat us all down. And Brian Jordan uh, was new to the Braves. Myself. And uh, they had that core that, you know, Andrew and Chipper and, and Andres and, and Klesko and, and obviously Maddox, Smoltz and Glavin. But Bobby said to us, he said, guys, for the newcomers this year, uh, what we do here in Atlanta is I put that lineup out there every day and we just go steamroll our opponent. And I'd never <laughs> heard it put like that before in spring training. And I'll tell you what, we went out there in 99. We ended up going to the World Series, ended up getting beat by the Yankees. But I looked up at the end of the season, we had 104 wins. And I said, that's exactly what Bobby said was going to happen. Uh, 95, you guys go to the World Series. You end up winning the World Series, beating Cleveland. I remember it all too well because uh, you beat us in the second round. Matter of fact, you swept us. And nobody likes to be mm-hmm. swept. But, but I remember when we left Atlanta, I said, well, one thing, I hope they win the World Series because because yeah. the team that beat you, if they end up win, winning the World Series, you feel better about it. Like, oh, okay, they were yeah. the World Series champs this year. That's not that's <laughs> not easy to team. do. Yeah, you know, the Reds, but the Reds not, had a great team, but you know, um, it just so happened that uh, almost every a lot of the key situations, uh, Reggie Sanders came up for you guys. <laughs> he had a rough one, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he you know he was a great player, but he struggled. Uh, in that series. And so a lot of key situations, uh, he didn't quite come through, uh, for you guys. And we end up, uh, 
beating you guys. But, you know, what was tough with the Braves is that um, that always come up a little short uh, of winning the World Series. You know, they lost to the Blue Jays. They lost to the uh, the Twins. And, Booney, as you know, you look back and you um, look at different series and so forth, and there's always, like, one or two plays that uh, can change a series. And so uh, it was that play at second base uh, – that cost the Braves against the Twins. Uh, who was that? I want to say Lonnie Smith made a boo-boo on the bases. Uh, it hurt them. And then the next year, they lost to the Blue Jays. Uh, I know Pat Borders had a big series, and Ed Sprague had a big hit, one or two plays. So um, to, try, to finally pull it off in 95, it was kind of like relief. You know, because it was almost situations where uh, – um, you know, you're not quite the Buffalo Bills, but it's kind of like, man, the Braves, they keep getting to the uh, series and losing. And so to finally pull it off, it was, it was awesome. And Bobby Cox will go down as, you know, one of my best managers of all time because he, he treated you like a a man, you know, and um, I mean, he told you like it, he, he told you like it was all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and he had his moments where if somebody didn't, um, play by the rules, follow by the rules. He was going to call him into the office and, and he going to wear him out. And it's like, we would, we would win a lot of ball games, but if we had, had a few days where we're playing bad, you know, he'll come into the locker room and he'll, he'll close that door and he, and he will flat out wear you out. You know, it, it was one of the things you laugh because like you didn't want to make eye contact with him. <laughs> so you just keep yeah. your head down when he, when he's yelling and screaming. Uh, but he was outstanding to, uh, to play for. So the final we won in 95, beat the Indians in game six. David Justice hit the big home run. And then in 97, no, no, in 95 we won in 95. But in 96, we should have beat the uh, the Yankees. We won the first two games uh, in New York. And then we go back to Atlanta and game three, Derek Jeter hits a uh, foul ball to right field. The umpire gets in um, the way of Jermaine Dye, who was playing right field. And the ball drops uh, for a foul ball. Jermaine should have caught it, but the umpire got in the way. And then next pitch, Jeter bloops uh, a ball into right field for a hit. And then Larich ended up hitting a huge home run against Mark Wallers. And uh, that changed the whole series. And one stinking play changed the whole series. Because if we had won game three, chances are we might have swept the Yankees. But they... uh, they won game three, and they end up sweeping us uh, four games. That was a tough one. And then, you know, the Yankees have spring training here in Tampa. And so I have to go around and um, see see Yankee hats and uh, Yankees during spring training all the stinking time. You know, I got I to gotta live with the, I gotta live here you know, for the rest of my life yeah. uh, dealing with uh, the Yankees because, you know, everybody wants to beat up, beat the Yankees. And so, uh, oh yeah, and, and I've had some weird some teams I've been on through the years. We'd go to New York at the end, you know, in the postseason, and like you said, something weird always happens with the Yankees. And I remember uh, my my brother played there one year in '03, and he came back uh, after the season. We were talking about the experience. They ended up getting beat, but he said, "Yeah, you know." And Jeter came over to me at at one point and said, "Booney, the ghosts will show up." The ghost will show up. <laughs> and it seemed like they always did. Um, you know, and another another point is, and, and I brought this up on past shows, it's 
to win a World Series is so special and is so tough. Um, you got to live it. You, you probably arguably played behind one of the greatest pitching staffs in the history of our game. You had a great team. You had a, a young Chipper Jones, a young Andrew Jones on the, on those ball clubs. And, and you, and you were only able to win one. That kind of shows people that just expect, Oh, just go out and world, win the world series. It's no big deal. You probably have an appreciation for how hard it is to actually finish the deal. You got it done one time. Well, no, no doubt. And the thing about it is uh, when you win a world series, everything goes right. So when you need a, a strikeout from a pitcher, he gets it. We need that double play turn. They get it. We need somebody to come through with a big hit. He gets it. You know, everything just is magical. Then the next year, that same team can be together, and you need that strikeout, and you don't get it. Somebody gets a big hit, or you need that double play, and somebody drops the ball or, or whatever. It just uh, it's tough to do. And it's so when I tell a tip, like here in Tampa um, – you know, with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the uh, Bucks won the Super Bowl last year, and they bring back the same team, and so everybody has, everybody's expecting the Bucks to like just roll people again this year. And so far, you know, they've lost. They lost last night, so they've lost four games. But they've had, they're having injuries. Um, just guys on them not making the same plays they made last year. And I try to tell these people around here that it's tough to repeat, man. It's tough to it's tough to win a Super Bowl. A second time in a row, and and baseball with the World Series is it's the same way, you know. Um, you look at this year with the uh, the Braves, where they got they got off to a bad start the first half of the season, right? But the New York Mets and the Phillies didn't bury them when they had a chance to bury them. You know, the Mets probably should have ran away with that uh, division, but they didn't. You know, they they struggled and they allowed the Braves to hang in there, hang in there. And then the way it's set up now, you have um, about half the teams in the league trying to win. And you have the other teams um, that are basically tanking um, because they're trying to get a better draft pick, Uh, you know, trying to get higher picks because the higher draft pick you get, the more money you get to spend on your draft picks and so forth. And so now... Uh, draft picks are very valuable, so teams are uh, tanking, and so that's what you had. And so the Braves traded to trade it, you know, with teams that were just really just giving up and not even trying uh, to win anymore. And they were able to get Soler and uh, Jack Peterson and um, Adam Duvall and so forth, and they and they gave these other teams basically just a body. You know, and so the Braves took on salary and they gave up bodies and those guys ended up coming together and they ended up catching the Mets and the Phillies and ended up winning that division. Crazy. They didn't have, you know, starting out, they just had a okay team. Even with uh, Ronald Acuna and those guys, they were just okay. And then they, they got hot. They got hot and they did what they had to do. It was fun to watch in that postseason because if, you know, I lined up all the teams before the postseason started and and I was asked the question, all right, who's got a chance? Who doesn't have a chance? I gave the Braves absolutely no chance. That's how much I know about the game. I've got, I, I mean, I went into that and next thing you know, they're holding the trophy. 
but it was cool to watch. You mentioned Jock Peterson and, and Duvall and, and just everybody came together at the right time. Uh, their best player wasn't even on the field Acuna. You know, everybody thought when Acuna went down early in the season, oh, that's it for the Braves. Now they're not good enough. Not only were they good enough to, to barely win that division, but they ended up winning the World Series. And that's why you just never know in this game. You never know and and really cherish those times that let alone get to a World Series. But if you're lucky enough to win one, they don't come along too often. Well, a lot of things start working a way you take, um, uh, you know, <laughs> we could be here all night. But um, now that, you know, first base used to be like, Every team had a stud first baseman. You know, you had you had a thirty homer guy or whatever playing first base, and now for some reason the industry believes that they can put anybody at first base. They believe that hey, first base is just first base, and um, let's just give this guy a glove and stick him over at first base, and we'll be fine. Which is totally untrue. But that's what they think nowadays. And so uh, you take the Dodgers had, you know, they lost Muncie on a uh, playing first base. He stuck his hand, you know, bad throw. He stuck his hand in the, in the way the base runner and um, uh, messed up his shoulder and so forth. And they lost him. And um, you had Brandon Belt trying to lay down a bunt, <laughs> trying to bunt. And he hurts his hand, his thumb or something. And so he, so he's out. You know, so little stuff like that played right into the Braves' hands. You know, they each the Dodgers and the Giants lost players, and then the way the playoffs was set up, the Dodgers and the Giants had to play each other in the first round, and the Braves have to play uh, the Brewers. You know, so everything just worked out uh, perfect for them. It was just, I guess, in, at the end of the day, it was just meant to be. And guy, the pitch all of a sudden. The Braves bullpen, which had been um, shaky all season long, all of a sudden um, they start pitching lights out. You know, the closer had been uh, just okay for most of the year. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden he, he, he didn't give up a run in the postseason. Yeah, 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 yeah. But during the season, he was just he, he was just hit or miss. You didn't know from 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 you know, from from the game to game what Will Smith was going to do. You know, it was just uh, phenomenal. They got hot, and um, you know, they had three. They had those three lefties, three tough lefties in the bullpen, throwing ninety five, ninety six miles an hour. And Boone, and that's another story. You know, because we came up, and um, you know, guys were throwing ninety three, ninety four, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, everybody's throwing ninety nine and a hundred miles per hour. And but you know, it's puzzling to me because like. For me, when somebody's throwing 100 miles an hour, they shouldn't be getting hit, right? Right. right. And nowadays they say, oh, this guy throw 99, this guy throw, and they're getting ripped all over the place. I'm like, either these radar guns or technology, something something ain't right because all these guys can't be throwing um, 100 because they're getting ripped all over the place. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because remember our our guns. It would there was a gun that gets it out of the hand, and then there's a gun that gets it to the home plate. And I think you know I got to give them a little bit. I mean, even in the last fifteen twenty years, the, the athlete is more finer tuned. You know, they're they're training year round. That the finances in the game allow these guys to have uh, trainers and nutritionists year round. So. Th- the actual physical product, I think, is getting better. I think they're throwing a little bit, a little bit harder, 
but but I don't think it's you know I think it's a point point and a half. Remember, Freddie, we'd sit in those pitchers meetings or, and and they'd say, okay, he's you know his his fastball is ninety one and ninety three, his breaking balls eighty four to eighty six, his curveball seventy eight to eighty. Okay, now maybe that the average fastball is his fastball ninety two to ninety five. His now they're throwing a lot of cutters. They didn't throw many back then, especially from the right side. But I think everything's gone up a tick. Okay, yeah, a little bit. But Booney, let me ask you this question, right? This is this is a laughter moment. Okay, explain to me what a game a game planning coach is. A game planning coach? Yeah, yeah. I got no clue. I, I, I have a feeling you're going to tell you. See, you're on that side of the ledger now. You're working for the Braves. No, tell me. No, no, tell, no. But I, 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 was, I was reading this article today about Bob Melvin filled out his coaching staff. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right. Tell me what it said. It said they hired this one guy. He's, he's the game planning coach. Right. And I'm so what does he do? I don't know, cause, cause like baseball, every game is different. Okay, now how can you pl- how how can you plan for 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 every game? Because all right, tonight we might play, and we might be down we might be down five nothing in the first inning. Okay, and then tomorrow we may play, and we're up two nothing. So how can you how can you game plan and script the script? What's going to happen? He's, he's going to give. He, he's going to give Bo Mel his marching instruction. All right, Bo Mel in the fifth, you're going to make a. You're making a change. You're going to bring the lefty in. All right, we don't know what's going to happen yet, but I'm the game planning coach, and that's what I say. <laughs> that's, that's funny, but some stuff make you laugh, dude. These people, these people have lost their mind. Dude. <laughs> they, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of places that have reinvent this game. They're trying to reinvent it, dude. It's the same game that's been played for years and years, and they're trying to like reinvent it. It's crazy. <laughs> you get a chance to come home after Atlanta and uh, back to Tampa Bay. It's an expansion, uh, an expansion franchise. Expanse, yes, expansion nah, franchise. Nineteen ninety-eight. You're coming home to Tampa Bay. Um, how was that in the first years of a, of a new franchise? Uh, it, it was cool in the sense where uh, I'm born and raised in Tampa, and so my family all got a chance to see me play, um, and so it was great. My mom, uh, <laughs> you see me from my mom's passed away now, but um, still you run into folks, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you go to, you go to a game, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 your mom, she would sit right over here, and, you know, we would talk to her before the game, and we, you know, because that was that, that was my mom, you know, talking to all the the vendors and the workers and somebody everybody at the uh, stadium. And so coming home and being and your parents being able to see you play uh, on a nightly basis, um, it was cool. You know, it's tough. You know, you go out to asking for uh, for tickets and so forth. Uh, that can be a little tough. But other than that, uh, it was great. And for me at the time, at that time. Um, I had a little family, uh, son and daughter, and so they were young. And so uh, I had, I had uh, won a World Series. I played in the All-Star Games. Um, you, you had done pretty much uh, a lot of stuff that you want to do for me. So I mean, to be closer to my uh, family and try to raise uh, 
kids, that was uh that was great for me to be able to uh to play in Tampa, you know. Again, you get in the middle of uh, the old one season. You go play for the Chicago Cubs in another pennant race. And I loved Wrigley, Freddie, just being a visitor. It seems like most of the times we'd roll in there, the wind was blowing out. But what was it like on a daily basis coming to the park? Is that the first thing when you wake up in the morning going, all right, which way is it blowing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Chicago was awesome. But the thing about it is uh, – what was tough for me in a sense where, uh, you know, I, I was, I was born and raised in Tampa. And so I had a, I had like a no trade clause in my contract. Right. So, um, the GM, um, made a trade, Chuck Lamar, right at the all-star break. Right. So he tells me right at the all-star break on that Sunday that he had a trade in the works with guppies. Okay. So, I'm like, dude, I gotta have time to think about this, you know, because I'm gonna be leaving my um, my family and young kids and so forth, and so I'm like, I need a few days, <laughs> right? So, 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 but now the sort of second half of the season starts again, and so you know, everybody loves the Cubs all across the country, okay? And so, and nowadays the general managers, right? The the story it goes public that the Braves have a trade in the works with the Cubbies. And so now if I don't, if I don't play with the Cubs, I don't go right away. Now it's like, Oh, Fred doesn't want to be a Chicago Cub. What's wrong with him? You know, you know what I'm saying? You know? And so, um, I finally get traded and then we worked it out, we worked out deal. So I go to Chicago. And so we're in a, we're in a pennant race and, um, it was an awesome place to play, but, you go and take batting practice because you're playing mostly day games. So you play, you're taking batting practice at nine and ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so and it's cold, you know. And, and like you say, so you're taking bat practice and you're hitting balls. And if that wind's blowing in, you're like, oh, it's gonna be a long day. You know, my my best bolts are not going out to this ballpark. And also, Wrigley had thick grass, you know, so ground balls that you normally hit that would go through for base hits. Now they're getting gobbled up by infielders and they're out because, you know, it's just the grass is slowing everything down. So you had those days when you take batting practice and you, and the wind's blowing in, you're like, Oh boy, this is going to be a tough one on me here. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Cause yeah, but it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun because I played there with Sammy Schultz and that's when, you know, Sammy was the man. And so it was, it was kind of funny because we had me, Sammy, and Moses Alou. We would take batting practice up in the same um, group every day, right? And so fans were showing up uh, two hours before the game, two and a half hours, to watch us take batting practice and to watch Sammy hit bombs out of the stadium. And so now me and Moses Alou got to step into the batter's box for batting practice, right? And here we are. Here, here I am, blooping stuff and working on hitting the ball the other way and everything. And then you had Moses Alou. And then you got Sammy coming up. You know, it, 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 was, it was hilarious every day because Sammy's hitting balls 500 feet. You know, and then we get in there like, bloop, bloop, trying to hit line drives the other way. It was, it was hilarious. But that was, that's what went on as, on a daily basis uh, on the road and at home. It was hilarious.
It was like, yeah, it was kind of circus like because I remember, and you know, what it was like going to St. Louis. I mean, as much as you had the Sammy show in Chicago, St. Louis with with Mac when he was going through that, I think it was it was bigger than the Sammy show. It seemed like because as far as Sammy hit him, and he hit him, I mean, he was right up there with the farthest balls I've seen. But I've never seen anybody hit one where Mac was hitting him in St. Louis up in those flags. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember ever. And to this day, you know, I, I watch the Yankees and I see Stanton and I see uh, Aaron Judge. These are big men hitting balls a long way. But I remember oh, yeah. those days of, of Mac taking batting practice. Did you used to come out and watch him hit BP? Yeah. No, I've seen it. Yeah, it was crazy. But what about, you know, that's similar to watching the Oakland A's back in the day when you had, uh, when Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and that whole group yeah. would, uh, yeah. would take, it, it was a sight to see you tell you, your, your pitchers didn't need to watch, uh, batting practice. Unreal. You move on from there, you go to the Dodgers for a year, you finish up your career, uh, with Tampa Bay back at home. Uh, 19 years in the big leagues, 2,400 plus hits, five all-star game, 1,550 ribbies, two home run championships. Uh, you drove in 108 times. What an, what an unbelievable career. Uh, and what do you do? As soon as you get, as soon as you finish, you go to the Connecticut school of broadcasting. Tell me about that experience. I want to hear all about, before we get to Tom Amansky, I got to hear the Connecticut school of broadcasting. Well, well, back then I had ideas of uh, trying to do some broadcasting work. Excuse me, but okay. Yeah, so they had a school. They had a school in Tampa, <laughs> Connecticut Broadcasting School, and so I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> but you know, it turns out that um, you know it, it was cool, but <laughs> it was just. They they taught you a little bit of stuff, but hello, hello, oh, hello, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. It, 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 it was an experience, and it was funny because the students in the class they'd be like, oh, so are you really separate grips? You know, are you really in this class with us? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm hanging out with y'all. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> so, so, so I learned about all the different equipment uh, that they use that they use in broadcasting. <laughs> so it was it was cool. All right, I, I've waited. I know yeah. you get beat up about this all the time, but it is such a classic commercial. Give me the Tom Amansky, <laughs> how it came to be. You can't get out of an interview without answering that one, I know. But it, it's still – and you know all of us, all your peers, all your teammates, ex-teammates, guys that played against you. When we think of Freddie McGriff, we can't get the Amansky out of our mind. <laughs> yeah, I always laugh because, uh, I mean, like I try to tell you, I, I've never seen the video. But um, when I was uh, – 19 years old playing in Dominican Republic. Uh, I'm an 18, 19 year old kid. It was a catcher named Steve Christmas. And we're down there playing um, in uh, Santo, Santo Domingo. Back then I was with the uh, Azucareros or whatever. So we're playing and the guy's like, man, Fred, when you get back to uh, Tampa, I want you to drive over to Orlando and go to go see this guy named Tom Amansky, man. He has this 
he has batting cages and hitting school and so forth. And you go see him and um, he'll videotape your swing and slow your swing down and and help you with your hitting because he's helped me out tremendously. His name was Steve Christmas. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do that. So I get back to Tampa. I drive down to Orlando. We all set it up. He videotapes me and he shows me um, that in hitting, you know, you have all kinds of different stances. You have um, different bat positions that people put their bats in. Uh, everything you see some everything, but at the point of at the point of really making contact, everybody's at the same point. You know, certain positions that your bat has to be in and your body has to be in. Um, before making contact. And so, so he helped me out tremendously. So I even, you know, do my thing. And five or six years later or so, uh, I'm in the big leagues now. And so Tom Amansky, uh calls me and is like, hey, Fred, you know, you mind um, helping me with this video? And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, I'm in the big leagues now. So it's like, yeah, dude, I'll help you out, man. You help me out. So I'll help you out. So he's like, okay, uh, I'm going to bring some kids. We're going to fly into Chicago, and we'll meet you uh, in Chicago. So they fly to Chicago. We're playing the Cubbies, and after the game, uh, he picks me up right outside the stadium. We drive about two or three minutes to a field outside of Wrigley, and uh, he just gives me a, a shirt and hat and says, oh, just pop this on. You know, here I am, because, you know, after game, um, back in the day, you had to have slacks and a dress shirt, nice shirt, and so after game. And so I'm like, okay, so I just pop on a shirt and hat, and uh, and he has a little camcorder, little handheld camera on him in Arizona, and he's like, da 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 and I got these kids with me, and I, want, I just, just say, this is the video that gets results or whatever. And so, uh, you know, I said that. And at the time, you know, I didn't know the mess was going to stay on for 20 years, you know, but <laughs> that, you know, because he, he got grandfathered in to ESPN. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't do a commercial. I mean, it, it would be huge money to try to run a commercial on, uh, on ESPN. But he got grandfathered in. And so he had got a great deal with, uh, ESPN, and as you know, you never really see hitting videos or nothing on uh, ESPN. It's just it, it's too much money. But he put he pulled it off, and so that video was on every night for uh, twenty years. But I, I've, I've never seen uh, the video. I laugh sometimes because you know some of his. I don't believe in all his. I remember Eddie Toppinsy was one of his. Uh, was one of the young kids, and. Uh, so Tobacco had that kind of like step, then swing, you know, a little kind of like long swing. But I've never seen the video, but I know it stayed on for years and years, the defensive drills. And I run across people all the time, almost if I go in the right spot, you know, I can I can run into somebody almost daily uh, and they'll bring up uh, Tom Amansky or something. Back to back to back to back AAAAU championships. Yeah. I remember yeah. it. I see it all the time. <laughs> Hall of Fa- Hall of Fame. Just had Chef. <laughs> just had Chef. We just had Chef on. He's still on the ballot. 
Uh, you're not on the ballot. The numbers are, are right there. I mean, you got a lot of guys that played with and against you, myself included. They go, what about Freddie, man? What What about Freddie? You're off it right now. Uh, in 2022, the game committee, you're going to go back on and be considered again. And, and the, probably the process is going to start all over. How was it for you going through those those 10 years where every year it's like, what's my percentage? Am I going to make it? Am I not? We had Bert Blylevin on the show, and he told me, he said, Booney, by the end, I just quit giving a shit. And I didn't expect anything about it. Then years later, uh, Bert got got inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. How was that process for you? Because I got a lot of, you know, I got a lot of opinions on the Hall of Fame. I don't think it's, I think there's a lot of flaws in the system. You were right there. The numbers are there. Uh, yeah, I, your, you know, my numbers, are, my numbers are just as good and better than half the guys, a lot of guys in there. So it's a lot of politics come into play a little bit. But, uh, you know, I guess, because, well, you know, you got reporters that uh, they're calling and different people and so forth. And so you have to deal with that, uh, every year, but the same way you just go on and you do, uh, you live your, your life. Cause you know, uh, it's a lot more things, uh, you know, life is short, you know, and you got your families and everything else. Uh, a lot of stuff we take for granted, but you, uh, you go with it and you roll with it. And you, uh, like I said, we, I exceeded man, you know, like I said, from getting cut way back in the day, I, I've, I've been so blessed, you know, that I, uh, I roll with it, but Shep, Shep, you know, like, eh, it's all about like getting people on that committee who have a lot of get, get ex players and guys who have played and been there before, you know what I mean? And they know, cause you know, you see somebody like Sheffield, Sheffield, uh, just intimidated pitchers, <laughs> you know what I mean? Pitchers were wanting no part of Gary Sheffield. I mean, the guy got 500 and something home runs crazy it is it's unbelievable and and when that when that second committee cooks up i i i think we're going to see fred mcgriff in the hall of fame before it's all said and done uh freddie you're one of those few guys uh and you genuinely are i remember when i was a kid playing with the with cincinnati in the early 90s when i first got to the big leagues and i remember coming to atlanta i'm like oh freddie mcgriff he can rake and, and i remember getting a first and talking to you and you were kind of like you didn't say much but i'm like he's kind of shy almost he's like a, a, a yeah. gen, he's like a gentle giant but i was this kid just <laughs> you know i was just this kid trying to swing hard and do good and and i remember those times and i remember uh everybody you know, I don't think I've met a man to this day that played with or against you that didn't have a nice thing to say about Fred McGriff. Never a negative thing. Um, I appreciate you coming on the program. Before I let oh. you go, after all the things you've done in this game, what are you most proud of? Ooh. Oh, uh, probably. Well, from a, I mean, from a consistent standpoint, just from hitting, because, you know, uh, every night, you got these pitchers, uh, they're gunning for you. Uh, teams got scout reports that are trying to get you out constantly. And so to be able to go out there and consistently, um, play, you know, that's stuff that, uh, you're, you're really proud of in, in that sense. But, you know, I know, I, I know I, I played the game right, you know, went out there hard every day and just, but from a team standpoint, just winning the World Series, you know, cause that's the ultimate, uh, to, uh, you got 25 guys and y'all all working towards, uh, 
one goal and to finally pull it off you know it's nothing it's nothing like it uh when you come as a team and win it so a little stuff like that but i, I mean i got so many great, great memories you know the guys um that you play with and against and for the most part baseball got uh some good people you know you know every once in a while you run into uh a knucklehead here and there very rare but uh for the most part, a lot of good guys, you know. But, but for me, I always laugh sometimes because Mark Lemke, he's a, he's a good buddy of mine, and we talk all the time, right? But every year, you know, I had I had to go hit thirty or forty homers, you know. And so you take uh, Mark Mark to hit ten home runs and play great defense, and 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 it, it was all good, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I had That's to hit. Right. If I didn't hit thirty homers, if I didn't hit thirty homers, it's like. Oh, what's wrong with Fred McGriff? You know, something's wrong. <laughs> so, uh, you set so, the bar. So high. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Freddie, so, it was a pleasure. Awesome, it uh, was a pleasure. I appreciate you coming on the show. And what we do uh, each and every okay. Boone podcast at the end is we bring the voice of the podcast back, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Dan? Fred, how are you? Uh, good. All right, this one comes from Rob in St. Pete, and he wants to know, Crime Dog, if you were to do a baseball training video, what would you feature? <laughs> hitting. <laughs> hitting, because I, I would love to just uh, help some of these young kids today and uh, simplify uh, the hitting. Hitting has gotten so... Uh, complicated and so many numbers and everything. And I think these kids need to get back to uh, just simplifying the game. And Sarah from Memphis wants to know, is there a player in today's game that reminds you of you? Whew. Hey, Sarah, that's a tough one, dude, because ain't too many crime dogs out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I no, think there's not. The latest, I think, Yodon Alvarez, he's um big lefty out with the Houston Astros. He, he's, he got some big power. He's coming along. Uh, so he would probably be the closest in today's game. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, all right. No problem. All good. Mailbag. Booner, you know the sound. Oh, come on, Dan! It's some—it's the mailbag. Let's go, mailbag. Let's dig right in, shall we? All right, Brett. This one comes from Jeff in St. Charles, and he wants to know, Brett, give us the backstory on the bat flip. Is this something that you wanted to do as a way of taunting after you hit a big shot, or is it something you just kind of came to you? Um. No, I, I, I think a couple opposing pitchers pissed me off uh, <laughs> when they would strike me out. They'd do a little dance or whatever. And, and you know, it was something I wrong. To, sometimes they did it at the wrong time. And uh, so I think it was in the first bat flip I ever did was in Colorado. And I got flipped a couple times, throw it up my head. And I ended up hitting a grand slam and I didn't know what to do. And I flipped my bat and I, I, I kind of was a fish out of water. And I remember Don Baylor from the, from the Rocky dugout yelling at me to run and I'm walking and I don't even know how to do it. Uh, anyway, fast forward to, to my days with the, with the uh, Seattle Mariners. <clears throat> and naturally the bat would come out of my hand the way it does. But 
I just added a little flip to it if I knew I hit a home run. And it was something that my teammates, my teammates liked. And, and uh, Seattle just kind of took to it. And it was Chicks Dig, the long ball. That was that time in baseball. And uh, I just kind of ran with it. My, teams li- or my teammates liked it. Uh, I meant nothing by it. I, I flipped my bat and I was on my way. I didn't stand there and watch home runs and, and, and pose at home plate. But I would give it a, a pretty good flip. And it just kind of caught a life of its own. So my teammates liked it. Uh, I never meant anything by it. I wasn't there to show anybody up, but uh, I just kind of ran with it for a four, for a few years, and and uh, now I'm kind of semi known for it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of bat flips nowadays. The, they're too premeditated. Uh, I like the classics, you know, and I think I've mentioned on this program before. I like the the Ken Griffey's that that follow through and just the way he looked at it. I like watching Barry Bonds hit a home run. I love watching Mike Trout hit a home run. So uh, I'm not really into the bat flips these days. Well, something else that has taken on a life of its own has been this podcast. And we want to thank all those for tuning in today. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boom Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. The digital content for the Boom Podcast is provided by Liz Landry. Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends. And make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here at the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. Booner, flip the bat. We're out of here. You got it.